to the Niners Nation podcast. We're here with you once again. It's only a month away to the draft. With me, as always, is Leo Luna of 49ersGoldmine.com. How are we doing, man? Oh, I'm, I'm tired. Just got back from Vegas. Uh, it's okay. I socially distance out there. Um, it was just one of those weekend getaways. Uh, I promise I was not at any type of super spreader over the weekend. Well, it's okay. We do this show over the internet, so we don't have to worry about you giving me the virus. And our special guest this week is Jordan of 49ers Gold Mine. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Of course, we have a lot to talk about. You know, the Niners pretty much came out and they said, you know what? We're going to run it back. And that's exactly what they did. You know, they went out in free agency with that mindset. I think they replaced the positions that they needed to replace or enhance a little bit. But for the most part, you know, they took care of what needed to be taken care of, specifically even today, where they went out and got Joukowsky Tart, signed him to a one-year deal, and the secondary is looking set minus nickel corner. And, I mean, if their plan is to run it back with a rookie quarterback or even Jimmy Garoppolo, they've pretty much succeeded in that being the plan going into 2021. Uh, yeah, I would definitely say so, and it's something that they should be content with because you take into account all the injuries they had last year, all the issues they had to deal with with COVID-related stuff and not having the normal weeks of practice and preparation and all the all the you know contributing factors that went into a very strange year. Obviously losing the best player on not only the defense but the whole team, in my opinion, and Nick Bosa. Uh, not really having a viable edge rusher outside of Eric Armstead all season. You know, Kerry Hyder was phenomenal, but we're talking, if we're talking like truly elite, above-average players – uh, you know, it really was kind of just Armstead on his own, and they still were a top five defense. So you start bringing back these pieces. You hope that last year was just kind of an anomaly in terms of the barrage of catastrophic injuries. And yeah, absolutely, it's a it's a defensive unit that's been a top five unit for two years in a row. And it's just kind of one of those situations where, hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it. You might uh, change out a couple pieces here and there. Obviously, Kwan Williams is the one guy that's really not, you know, that's still kind of out there that's not back yet that we would assume would be. Uh, Sherman, I think everybody kind of accepted that he probably wouldn't be coming back, but you never know. He's still not signed. Maybe there's an avenue where he does come back on a shorter, you know, one-year deal or something like that. Uh, but I'm very happy that they did keep the band together in a way because that defense is very strong, and especially the signing of Tart today was huge because him and Ward together when they're on the field at the same time are, a, in my opinion, easily top five undisputed safety duo in the league. And they just give the defense so much more versatility range on the back end uh you know i saw tart said something about how he's excited he's going to probably be blitzing more too in D'Amico ryan's scheme i think they're going to get a little bit more uh diverse with their fronts and their uh defensive shells pre-snap give a little bit more exotic looks and stuff so yeah i, I just like i said it just comes down to you've had success with this group for the most part for the last two seasons if you can retain them you're going to do what you can to to do that and the 49ers offense our front office did a very good job of not overspending to do that, getting these guys back on a good value while still maintaining the key pieces that you're going to need and giving yourself the flexibility to extend the nerve center of that defense in Fred Warner, whether that's this offseason or coming up next year, they're going to have to do it soon. And I think they've left themselves in a very good position to do so. Yeah, I think it's great to mention the front office and how they have looked into this offseason because the only guy that they re-signed prior to free agency that was uh, unrestricted was Kyle Juszczyk. They let Jason Verrett play the market. He did that. He came back. They let Trent Williams play the market. He did that. He came back, and they even upped the ante to make sure that they brought in Trent Williams. And then same thing with Jaquaski Tart. I think he was one of those guys that we overlooked uh, 
as far as someone who's going to be back with this team, someone that we were saying, oh, they need to resign this guy, or even having Tart in our top three must resigns. A lot of it was like K1, Trent Williams, Juszczyk, or Verrett. Those were probably the consensus four that was always in someone's top three. But with Tart, from 2019 and 2020, he had a sub 50% completion percentage against, gave up two touchdowns, got an INT, and a sub 70 passer rating against. And then when he was not on the field and there was somebody else playing at his spot, they gave up 59% completion, seven touchdowns, zero interceptions, and 132.59 quarterback rating against. Um, so also, the numbers are cool. That part of the game is cool. Like, yeah, Tart is is a hell of a lot better when he this defense is, has him on the field. But also, I believe this was Kyle Posey tweeted this out today of Niners Nation that Fred Warner was mentioning a play that Tart told him pre-snap that, hey, this is what the New York Giants are going to run here. Keep your eye on it. Well, that same exact play, Warner listened to him, and he was able to get an interception because of what Tart saw pre-snap. Same thing, Jason Aponte, 49ers Goldmine, Sprint Ride Option Podcast, uh, had the Akilla Witherspoon to where he saw pre-snap against this was 2019 in Cincinnati told Akilo what this receiver is going to do. And Akilo listened. Unfortunately, he dropped the INT, which would have been a pick six, but even those, he, he doesn't have those Jarquiski tart doesn't have those plays in his hands or it doesn't go on his stats. It shouldn't go understated from his smarts of the game to where he's able to help Fred Warner get a, pick six or not a pick six but an interception and help to kill a witherspoon get a potential pick six so when you have younger guys out there on the field they're probably not going to have that smart football iq compared to tart day one you get the secondary short up and the thing is is you know we get another year where we can you know we have the starters you have jimmy ward you have jaquaski tart and you still have, you know, Marcel Harris and Tavarius Moore to be, you know, your backup guys, should there be any injuries. It keeps that safety position, you know, with a good amount of depth. You know, keeping on the defense, let's talk a little bit about the corner situation. I think this is a little interesting. Um, I mean, first I'll start with you, Jordan. You know, yes, they got Emmanuel Mosley back, and I love Emmanuel Mosley. He's not like an elite corner or anything, but he's a decent corner. And you got Jason Verrett back on a one-year deal, but you have no nickel corner. And the corner depth is still a question. So, I mean, what do you think about that heading into this draft up here? Well, if there was ever a draft to have issues or a need at nickel corner, this is definitely the one because there's a lot of guys that you could slot into that role and could come in from day one. Um, I've been pretty vocal on Twitter and a couple of mock drafts I've done for 49ers Goldmine that the guy I like the most to fill that role is Elijah Molden out of Washington. Uh, statistically, he's been pretty much the best slot corner in college football the last two seasons. Tremendous player, great instincts, good ball skills, very dependable. Uh, you know, I've compared him a lot to Jimmy Ward, actually. Physically, he matches up very well with Jimmy if you compare the two. Uh, almost the same height, almost the same weight, both very versatile. Both could line up in the slot one play, but maybe you um, rotate one to the uh, deep third of the field to play that safety spot. Maybe you have him up in a too high look. Uh, just somebody that could be very versatile. 
Um, I know a lot of people really like Asante Samuel Jr. I really like Molden more, to be honest. But, you know, it's not something that I'm, you know, I'm not vehemently saying that I don't think he's going to be good. Uh, I just like Molden a lot better. And then in the back end, you have guys like Thomas Graham coming out of Oregon. And a couple guys that you could take maybe in that back end of the draft that, you know, you might not feel as comfortable starting day one. But if you could bring back Kwan Williams on a cheaper one-year deal, you then have a secession plan. Uh, I just think it's that's, to me, the only thing that I think is the monumental, you know, pressing need really for the team. And I wouldn't even, you know, label it as that. But if I had to pick one, uh, because in this modern NFL, the nickel defense is essentially the base defense for most teams. You're generally running it 55, 60% of the time with the way that offense is thrown out. So that slot corner role that may have been a luxury a few years ago or a specialist role is basically a base defense role at this point. You're going to be your team should be more willing to invest more draft capital into that position just because of how often it's going to be on the field. So for me, the Niners are picking at 43. They might move back from 12. Maybe they move up and they don't have 43. But as things stand now, if they're picking at 43 and Molden's on the board, I'm running to the podium with that card because I think he slots in just tremendously with that secondary. And then you might be able to have a look where you bring Tart down and closer to the box where we know he can thrive. And then you're rotating uh, Molden back up to the top and having um, Ward rotate over to Tart spot. It just it gives D'Amico Ryans a lot more flexibility when you have a guy who not only can excel in that slot corner role, but you can move him all over your secondary too. And I think that we have seen uh, spurts from Emmanuel Mosley that make the deal he signed very intriguing as well because again he's not nobody's out here saying he's an elite lockdown cornerback but he's been more than capable and I think that one thing that really stood out to me was John Lynch talked about how this is how we want to develop players we want to bring these guys in hit on these late round undrafted guys and develop them in our system and then retain them because we're uh, putting the resources in to develop these guys coming out we want to make sure that once they're hitting their prime and hitting their stride they're going to be doing it in red and gold and not having other teams use them as a farm system essentially so I think that that retaining Emmanuel Mosley is very key because while people may not think again that he's some you know superstar player when you're putting the resources in to develop guys another team's going to get um, benefit from the fruits of your labor which we'll see probably in New England uh, where I think Kendrick Bourne will have a good amount of success where the 49ers brought in an undrafted guy and they developed him in their system and then now another team's going to capitalize on what they did so I think that that's something to watch for with the Niners too when they are signing these late round guys bringing in these undrafted guys uh, when they find a guy that they really believe is going to excel in their system I think you'll see that they'll make more of an effort to retain them because you could argue that the contract he signed might be a little steep but I think that the 49ers are betting on the potential knowing what they've seen from him in their system on the practice field and during games. Well, I think it should also be stated that Emmanuel Mosley only has 17 starts in his career. And I there he still has not reached his potential in my mind. There's still room for him to grow. So yeah, he may have got this this contract now where it's premature compared to someone in the second round to where they're going to have at least 4 years of production compared to Mosley has about 2. Because his first year, he was, uh, I think he only had special team snaps. He he took zero snaps in 2018 from a defensive perspective. But the guy has 17 starts. There's room to grow. I personally like him a little more on the outside than the nickel. uh, Because I haven't really seen him play nickel in, in a game to where he's blitzing, say, seven, eight times like Kwan Williams was able to so I'm not sure I like him on the outside because I think he is smart 
when it comes to, say, you're having your outside receiver breaking in on a dig. He's able to to break on that and, and use his instincts. He did that against the Carolina Panthers, got an interception, and he did that same thing in the NFC Championship game on Alan Lazard, who was the outside receiver, and picked off Aaron Rodgers, which Aaron Rodgers isn't known to be a guy to turn over the ball frequently. Uh, so I think that kid, he's very, very smart in his zone schemes. He does obviously have work to do in man, because when you look at who who is he playing in his division, as far as outside receivers, it's DeAndre Hopkins, DK Metcalf, and then you don't want to overlook Robert Woods with the Rams. That's six of his games every single season. So I think he can potentially get to, to me, he's a, already a cornerback too in the NFL. I think he could get possibly to the top 10. It might be a little bit of a reach, but he could potentially get to a top five cornerback two in the league. If these guys, if the if John Lynch and these guys have confidence in these guys, you know it kind of shows you, you know they're willing to sign Emmanuel Mosley, they're willing to sign Verrett and get him done, you know, and let K1 walk. And yeah, I love K1, but I, I had a conversation earlier with someone, or someone mentioned it to me earlier. I think um, that you know when they got K1 from the Browns, you know he came in cheap, and you know they aren't going to get that kind of discount again. That's why I think he probably ends up going to Kansas city and, you know, it gets paid a lot. And so, you know, we were talking about Jordan with Elijah Molden, you know, you bring him in and, you know, you're not paying a lot for that nickel corner spot and you still have Verrett and you could probably extend him next year. If he continues to be that quarterback one that, you know, cornerback one that we hope he is. And so, you know, it feels like when you look at this defense, it's pretty solidified, you know, Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, you know, they stay we last night week we talked to Jamar Taylor. He said he loves that they love um Aziz Al Shair, you know, and I think that, you know, they've pretty much said, you know, that Ebucam's probably going to play, you know, where forward plays. And so what do you think of Ebucam, Jordan? What do you think of this signing and what do you think it does for, you know, this 49ers pass rush that is so important to, you know, letting these, you know, this this secondary to get out, you know, get after it and do what they did in 2019. Well, I think that they just they needed more of a natural speed guy that to vacate that spot that D Ford is in. I think that's why they swung that trade for Kevin Willis last year. They were just like, you know, we'll bank on this guy. He has athletic upside, uh, and you know, there was a couple games where he actually did end up flashing. That's one thing that's the beauty of this, uh, you know, defensive line scheme uh, when they do run that wide nine. It really does put guys in a position where if you're athletic enough and you want it bad enough, you're going to be put in spots to succeed. And I think that's where getting a guy like Ebukam is very appealing because he has so much raw athletic ability. And he's this just, you know, 250 pound guy who has this speed and natural bend around the edge. Very, very strong with that bull rush, too. So if you can get him in with a guy like Kosarek and get him where he's working on, you know, footwork, hands, small little tweaks, um, you know, bending angles, little things that, you know, Kostarek has built his uh, reputation in the league for as one of the premier defensive line coaches. It puts you in a position where you're going to be able to maximize on a guy who, again, has the athletic traits, but maybe not wasn't in the best position. Um, LA was running, you know, they've essentially been a 3-4 for most of the time in their base defense. And then when they're running uh, their nickel stuff, it's not quite the same as what the Niners are running. So I don't think it's as appealing to a guy like that. Whereas in this situation, now you're slotting him into a spot where he's going to be opposite Nick Bosa, where you're going to have Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlaw inside eating up those interior blockers. And you're probably going to get him one-on-one with the tackle a lot of times. And I think it's a situation where it's just a really friendly deal. 
where it does two things. It gives them the insurance to have a guy opposite Bosa where hopefully on the, you know, um, a best case scenario, he's totally healthy. They're all healthy and they're dominating with those four on the line. And it also gives you a scenario where, Hey, maybe there's an edge player you really like in the draft. Maybe they really like Quiddy pay. Maybe they really like my guy as these Maybe there's somebody that they really like in that draft where then they could slot him in too. And then all of a sudden you have a rotation of guys that are just freak athletes on the edge that are then able to dominate the um, opposing offensive lines and wear them down over and over again, because they're going up, you know, offensive lines don't rotate when you're going up against a guy and you're, you know, 50, 60 snaps deep into a game and they're throwing out wave after wave of edge rusher. It's going to take its toll on you. And that's one thing I think we get so lost um, in sometimes because the 49ers were so good in 2019 with Armstead and Bosa and Buckner and Ford that we forget that the, um, you know, Ronald Blairs and the Solomon Thomases and some of these other guys on the second line. DJ Jones. DJ Jones, yeah. DJ Jones, yeah. Some of these guys coming in really did replenish their ability to spare – not I don't say sparingly, but use those guys um, less frequently than they would have to. And I think losing a DJ Jones and losing a Ronald Blair really did end up hurting them. And that's why we saw, unfortunately, in that end of the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 54, that defensive line just got gassed after. You can only chase around a guy like Patrick Mahomes for so long. And I think having that kind of depth at D-line is something that you can't really put a price on. But if you were going to put a price on it, the 49ers came away with a bargain because they do have him under control for two years. And it's a situation where if he, you know, is starting in that D-forward role where he's coming in on passing downs and he's, you know, racking up seven to eight sacks, even if it's just cleaning up on the other end after Bosa's pushing the pocket towards him, you're getting great value, but you're also in a position where you can add another edge piece because you're not so hamstrung. Well, oh, we're paying this guy $15, $16 million a year. Like Bud Dupree, I think Bud Dupree was a great complimentary pass rusher in Pittsburgh. He got massively overpaid, in my opinion. I'm never going to knock a player for taking the money. These guys work their you know tails off to earn it. But that's a situation where I'm glad the 49ers didn't go overboard and sign a guy like that where you're – overpaying when you really just need a competent athlete opposite Nick Bosa because Nick Bosa is so good. And because Armstead and Kinlaw, I believe are going to be such a dominant force on the interior. Totally. I mean, yeah, Leo, I mean, specifically with you, like, you know, what do you think of this defense that they're creating? Well, this is the thing I like with Ebucom is that he could actually play some Sam linebacker if they want. So if this team is up, say, two scores in a game and they just want to blitz the crap out of this team and just give them more exotic looks from a pass rushing perspective, maybe Ebucom doesn't have to come in and blitz and maybe drop to a flat or play some type of zone or play some type of man. In his career, he's never had a passer rating against in the 80s. It's always been below that. He's someone who has an interception in his career. He's never gave up completion uh, percentage against above 65. So he has that kind of the, the, the Swiss army knife to where he could play the speed rusher off the edge, but he could also drop back in coverage. So if this team is up in the fourth quarter, uh, you could provide those more exotic looks. If, if you somehow get D Ford, uh, to play some type of snaps this season, or say if it's a guy that comes from this draft class, or Jordan Willis takes another step if if they decide to bring him back, to where you could have Ebucon, Nick Bosa, Javon Kinlaw, Eric Armstead, and maybe even say another edge rusher out there on the field at the same exact time, and that's going to make it a lot harder for the Tom Brady's, for the for the Aaron Rodgers, and you would figure those two are the other two teams in, 
at the top of the NFC picture, as well as for Russell Wilson, um, because Ebucon could play some spy. He, he's got wheels. The guy's not slow. So I just like that he could be very, very versatile for this defensive line for something they don't have. Uh, we talk about Ebucon being that speed rusher like D Ford. Well, D Ford cannot drop in coverage like Ebucon can. He, he's not that a- athletic or just as gifted in, in pass coverage. So he provides something to this defense that they've never had from a pure edge rusher it seems like they are running it back in some ways on defense specifically. So like, let's go over to the side of offense. Let's talk about the offense. Obviously, you know, we still have Debo, still have Ayuk, still have Kittle, you know, it's looking like, you know, and and now the running backs are going to be Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson, which it should have been last year. And then your offensive line. Now I think it's solidified. Trent Williams, Alex Mack at center. You still got Lake and Tomlinson. And I think Brunskill is going to be a decent guard if he gets to stay at guard for the rest of the season. And then I don't hate Mike McGlinchey, which is still the craziest thing on Twitter for people for people because I think he's still decent. I think he does what they want to do. And the thing is, first and foremost, the 49ers are going to run the ball. That's what they want to do. They're going to run the ball on people. So the one question I think on offense, before we get to the biggest question mark, which we will talk about because it's the Niners Nation podcast and we always talk quarterback here, is, you know, this third wide receiver spot. What do you think they do at this third wide receiver spot for this coming season? I think they should go get Danny Amendola. Um, that's even if Jimmy Garoppolo is your quarterback, Danny Amendola, he played X amount of years with the Patriots. Jimmy Garoppolo paid X amount of years with the Patriots. Um, they're, they're familiar with each other and he could give the, the wider, that third wide receiver, that slot receiver role that we all wanted Trent Taylor to be. Um, but the difference is Danny Amendola has been that in his career when I, I don't remember the exact percentages, um, but his drop percentage compared to say Kendrick Bourne, since Kendrick Bourne was a third wide receiver last year and the years prior is significantly better from someone who gets targeted and it hits them in the hands and he's not going to drop it as much. That's not Ke- Kendrick Bourne slander because I'm, I really, really, really like Kendrick Bourne. But I think Danny Amendola could provide something for this team that they always wanted to have in Trent Taylor, but they never got it out of Trent Taylor. At least they never got it uh, for half a season. They may have got it for about one game, which that Chicago Bears game in 2017, I think he had like seven catches or something like that. So they may have got it in one game, but they can get it potentially for a whole season with Danny Amendola. And that's something I would like to to see, especially if Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback. We already know it's going to be intermediate over the middle. And that's where Amendola is going to be a specialist at. And I'm, it's not sexy. It's not sexy. I, I wouldn't have said coming into this offseason, <laughs> banging the table for Danny Amendola. But I'm just seeing where this offense is being constructed now, seeing pieces drop and seeing who's still out there. And he's a guy who can still ball. So why not at this point? Jordan, how do you feel about this third wide receiver spot or the other wide receiver spots that aren't Debo and Ayuk? The main thing that needs to be taken into account is that the 49ers, just from a scheme perspective, don't necessarily need that third wide receiver as much as a lot of other teams do. Like the Rams are running 11 personnel or they're running out three wide receiver on early downs quite frequently. So for them, getting a third wide receiver is a much larger priority than the 49ers who are in a lot more 21-22 personnel looks. And especially with the re-signing of Kyle Juszczyk, 
Uh, I think that you you can account 40 to 50% of the time he's going to be on the field and you're going to be in more, you know, eye formation, heavy run sets, or at least give the appearance of that, where you're going to run the play action off of that. So I, I, I agree with what Leo's saying. Like, you know, if they could get a veteran guy like Amendola, that'd be cool. Um, we bring him in on third downs. There's a guy who just knows how to get open, knows how to find soft spots in the uh, defensive zone coverage. Uh, just know a consummate pro who knows how to play the games, won a Super Bowl, obviously has uh, familiarity with the NFC West, even if it was quite a while ago when he was with the Rams. Uh, so it's something like that, you know, especially in this year with all these one-year deals that are so cheap. It's such a low-risk signing that I'd be okay with it. Uh, I also think there's a lot of avenues they could go in the draft. Um, if they were to not go corner with that second-round pick, uh, you know, a guy I really like, if Elijah Moore is there at 43, I would love him. I think he would be perfect for a slot role in the NFL, but I also think that he would excel with a guy like Kyle Shanahan that would be able to get him the ball in space. Uh, you know, I really like um, – a few of these guys, you know, there, there's five or six guys that I really like. Deami Brown's another guy I really like. I'm not saying he necessarily would be the third, like the slot receiver, but he's another guy that would give them a deep downfield deep threat that I don't think they have now. Uh, and he's somebody who I think is just a freak athlete who would do very well in a system where he's going to be getting the ball in creative ways. Uh, and that's no disrespect to North Carolina and how they've been running their offense. I just think that we didn't get to see how good he really is. Uh, and I know Kyle's friend, Chris Sims, is very high on him as well. Uh, so, you know, that's something I think maybe to keep an eye on. He's somebody I can see going late second, early third round. Uh, if the 49ers do move back from any of their other picks, they do really have options. So the the main thing, sorry, I could talk about the draft for hours. The main thing is that <laughs> the, the bulk of this talent is in the second and third rounds. If you really want to find a guy that can come in day one and be a third wide receiver that's going to contribute, that you could count on to get you 500 yards and, you know, 50 catches. Uh, so I would I would like to see them do it through the draft because then ultimately what it does too is it gives you insurance if Debo gets hurt. Like if Debo were to go down, you have a guy like Elijah Moore. Yeah, he's not going to be like you know the same exact player where Debo's running through ten guys at a time because he's just such an he's an enigma. Like he's such a you know one of a kind unicorn type of player, but he can run a lot of that motion pre snap. He can run a lot of that short area um, plays that are yak oriented where it's designed to get the guy in space and gain yards after the catch. And then ultimately what it does, too, in its conversation, you know, I, I hope that they don't have to have. I hope they can retain him. But if it get, you get a year down the road and you're having to extend all these players and they look at a situation where maybe Debo's priced himself out of a second contract with the 49ers, then you have a secession plan that could come in and step in and you still have him on a rookie deal for at least three more seasons. And again, I would love to keep Debo. I'm not saying that they shouldn't re-sign Debo. I'm just saying that ultimately you do have to make business decisions. And when you're constructing a roster, the second wide receiver spot well, it is important. There are a lot of other positions that come before it. So, you know, I, if I had to pick, I would go through the draft personally first, but um, I'm not opposed at all to what Leo's proposing. And I think that there are um, benefits to both sides. Like, you know, you're getting the financial flexibility long-term with the rookie, but you're also having to deal with the learning curve of moving to the NFL. And there is something to be said for getting a veteran that could come in and absorb Kyle's playbook, absorb the verbiage, and probably be able to contribute right away. And especially – uh, if it is a guy like Amendola who has had the injury histories and is getting a little bit older, when you're only having him come out for, you know, specific third down passing situations, you know, maybe short yarded stuff, it's not asking too much that's going to tax a guy that might be on the latter, you know, stages kind of riding off into the sunset in a way. Uh, so I would be totally okay with that. I just think that they do need to address it in some form because I don't see anybody on the roster now where I would feel great about them getting significant snaps. Um, one other guy just to watch, uh, I do like um, 
River Craycraft. I think that Craycraft has the ability to contribute. I'm not saying that he should get the that third wide receiver role, but he is a smooth route runner. And I think he's somebody that could kind of be that fourth, fifth option that maybe works his way up to getting third wide receiver snaps. Um, I just, I wouldn't feel great about what they have now. I don't think that it's, you know, anybody's terrible, but I think that they are just, they need to upgrade a little bit. So you were talking about, you could talk about the draft for hours, the financial flexibility you get with having a, retaining a guy. Um, and you talked about, 49ers running a lot of 12 personnel, which is one running back, two tight ends, or 22 personnel, fullback, running back, two tight ends. I'm going to propose this to you. The option for or the option against Kyle Pitts, tight end, Florida. Oh, I would absolutely do it. If he's there at 12, I would pull the trigger, no no doubt about it. And that's one for me, especially if they're sticking with Jimmy Garoppolo. I would, I would do whatever I can to give him more weapons, give him more opportunity to succeed. And just thinking about the two tight end looks, like I know that um, Kyle takes a lot of his inspiration from what New England's done over the years. And thinking back to when they had Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski and how much of a headache it caused opposing defenses, I would love a scenario where Kyle Pitts comes in. And the beauty of Kyle Pitts is that, you know, people make it out like he's just this terrible run blocker. He's not running people over the way Kittle is. He's probably not going to be this road grading run blocking tight end um, that, you know, you, you would hope for, but, He's also a receiver that's a dynamic weapon in a way that I don't think the 49ers have had on the team in a long time. And that's no disrespect to anybody who's on the team now. It's just this Kyle, Kyle Pitts is six foot six. He runs in the four fives reportedly, has insane ball skills, really good at high pointing, really good at just having the, the spatial awareness when he's battling one-on-one downfield with guys. And what it does is it gives the 49ers a situation where I think that we've gotten so accustomed to seeing them dominate because Kyle's so good at getting guys in space that, in my opinion, there isn't a guy that really is this stud red zone weapon that you can throw up a 50-50 ball, you can throw a fade to, you can throw these you know balls and just, hey, hey, go up and get it. And I think Kittle's proven he can do it. Ayuk's proven they can do it. But there's not a guy where that's really just their bread and butter and their specialty. So if you brought Pitts in, it would give you a dynamic weapon that would just be insane. And you're looking at a formation where you have – either Debo or Ayuk out wide, you have Kittle and Pitts on the field, and then you have Juszczyk and then Mostert, Wilson, whoever the running back is. And as a defense, you're probably very upset because you have no idea if they're going to run at you. They have no idea if they're going to throw off play action. You have no idea if they're just going to dial up something quick in the pack. It just gives them so many options, and he's such a unique player. Like Generally um, speaking, tight ends that early is usually a reach. Uh, Mike Renner from PFF is a guy who I really like with his draft analysis, and he had a really good point about most tight ends aren't going to beat uh, elite coverage corners or safeties one-on-one in man situations, which is why their value diminishes a bit. And we've seen, Kittle, you know, the playoff side immediately is Kittle running that out on Stephon Gilmore last year, who was the reigning defensive player of the year. And, you know, Pitts has done it at the collegiate level. So imagine having two tight ends, not only one, one's rare for most teams, but having two tight ends that even if other teams throw a really good cover safety or they throw, like if the Rams want to throw Jalen Ramsey at them, who are they going to throw? If they're playing the Rams twice a year, who are they going to throw at? You have Pitts, you have Kittle, you have Ayuk, and you have Debo Samuel. You're going to have to pick one of them, and you know Ramsey's probably going to lock down whoever he ends up on, but that leaves three other guys that are going to be running roughshod all over the place. So I would be all for it. I don't want to ramble about Kyle Pitts because he's one of my favorite players in the draft. I could talk again about him for hours, but I, yes, Leo, I would, I would be sprinting to the podium with his name on the card if he's still there at 12. Okay, so earlier today it was reported that uh, he ran a 4-4-6. And that's at six foot six, two hundred and forty pounds, four four six. It's insane. 
and that's just that's absurd speed. And the thing is too with him is he's so he has such good balance and such good again like his spatial awareness and knowing how to stay. He ran they ran a lot of goal line fades at Florida this year, and his ability to stay in bounds and stay balanced and keep his hips square and turn to the ball and high point like. There's a lot to like there. Um, mo- again, most of the time, I would say no. They don't really need a second tight end that bad. Get a guy later in the draft. But I look at Pitts kind of like I- I've been preaching this this theory of positionless football, which I think you know the 49ers have been kind of ahead of the curve um, more so than most teams. Like a lot of people look at Debo Samuel while he's a wide receiver on the depth chart. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of things that a running back does. While Kittle's a tight end, he does a lot of things after the catch where you're not you're not pigeonholing these guys into traditional positional molds and if you had an entire offensive guys like you could throw Kyle Pitts in the backfield with where Kyle Ustrek is and have him running running routes out of the you know with a hand in the ground and eye formation like there's just so much that you could do and when you have a coach like Kyle Shanahan you you are going to get great results from him even with the bare minimum but if you give him uh you know full cupboard of weapons to use it just to me it makes it so much it's it's very intriguing to think of what he could possibly do with that and again my whole thing is that if you're staying with Jimmy Garoppolo you give him a better chance to succeed the more weapons you add and you would be foolish to ignore that especially with the way that they have addressed the defense again maybe there's an edge guy that they really like there and I'm always fine with addressing a premium position like edge but if Jimmy's your guy you have to do whatever it takes to give him more of an opportunity to succeed and I just don't see a scenario where there's a player at 12 that's going to give that's going to help Jimmy DeGroppolo more directly, considering they have the offensive line pretty much short up now. Other than I would say offensive line, other than that, but with bringing back Trent Williams, which again that it should deserve a lot of credit for. A lot of teams made a big push for him. Uh, they've done a really good job of putting themselves in a situation where you could take a pits at 12, and it's not oh they reached for the you know the sexy pick or whatever. They took a guy that really can help this team and be an integral part of their future. And, you know, we talk about this draft. I think that you just hit the nail on the head. Like, there is a specific position they need to pick in this draft, but I think if they took Pitts would be the only reason. I think that's the only pick, because I think personally, Kyle, like I think you think this as well, Kyle Pitts is the best receiving threat in this entire draft. I think that it's not really a question. I don't think that's a hot take. It's clear that he's the best receiving, you know, threat in this entire draft. And if they took him and they ran it back with Jimmy, I think that's the only way I would be okay with running it back with Jimmy at this point, just because, you know, it feels like when you have a team that has this two year window now, because they're basically in a two year win it now window. And so, you know, ideally, you know, there was a quarterback that you could have gotten, you know, in Matthew Stafford where you're going to the Super Bowl this year, but you know, right now it's looking like rookie quarterback would be your option. So, you know, if you're stuck at 12, and quarterback's probably what you have to go here, you know, because I don't think they want to run it back with Jimmy. I think the idea of trading Jimmy or getting Jimmy off the roster would allow them to get that money back where they could extend Fred Warner, they could extend Bosa in a year, and they can keep these guys, you know, their guys. Because just like Jamar said last week, they're very much a team that wants to keep their guys on their roster. And they've shown that. Ever since Kyle shook over, they've wanted these guys back. They want Bosa back. They want Warner back. They want those guys. So now we get to this idea that Jimmy was never Kyle or John's guy. Maybe, maybe you know, it was, it was an opportunity. You know, when you get called by freaking Bill Belichick and he says, hey, I got a quarterback for you for a second round pick, you don't say no to that. And so now, you know, we've, we've talked so much about this Jimmy experiment and everything that went down over the last couple of years. You know, we get to this draft and – now you have no clear need, like no clear, like overwhelming need that you need. 
you know, you can do best player available, which I think is Kyle Pitts. I think he is the best player in the draft, you know, bar none. I think he's better than any of the quarterbacks even. I think he's going to have a better career. But we talk about these quarterbacks. Would you be okay with taking Mac Jones at 12? Uh, yeah, I, I would be okay with that. And my thinking behind that is I think that Mac Jones could do a lot of what Jimmy Garoppolo does now. Obviously, it's going to come at a much cheaper price. I do think that he does. It's 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 hard to project because it is college. We're not we haven't seen him make the throws in the NFL that Jimmy's made, but I do think that there's the potential that he could add a little bit more to the offense, throwing outside the numbers, throwing downfield a little bit more. But what it really does is it creates a window where you're going to be able to have extreme financial flexibility for the next five seasons. Um, at, extremely for the first four, those fifth year options are are getting a little steep, but the first four years especially. You're getting a guy that's going to be very cost-friendly, and what that's going to do is it's going to allow you to tender bigger contracts to Nick Bosa, to Fred Warner, eventually to a Brandon Ayuk, maybe to a Debo Samuel, and it's going to allow you to retain a lot of the other key pieces like we've seen them do this year, but you can do that actually moving forward in a year where it's going to be back towards a semi-normal cap and the paydays might be bigger. You can afford to compete with other teams and bring your guys back because you have that kind of flexibility, or you could bring out outside pieces to help your team. Ultimately, just having the quarterback on the rookie deal just opens up so many things. And while I don't think it's fair to say that Mac Jones is better right now than Jimmy Garoppolo because one's played significant, you know, a decent amount of snaps in the NFL and the other hasn't taken any, I could definitely see a path where you're coming in and the drop-off in play isn't so steep that it's going to hinder you from wanting the financial flexibility moving forward. So it's a move. This year, there aren't really many players, especially now that they locked up Trent Williams and a few of these other deals. There's not a player where I'm like, they have to cut Jimmy so they can sign this guy. But the next couple seasons, I think it definitely gives them the flexibility to um, retain a lot of those pieces. And then the other part to it all is a lot of people want to draft a guy and have him sit. And if you're doing that with a mid-round prospect, that's totally fine. I get it. Um, You know, acclimating to the NFL can be very tough. But if you're spending a first-round pick on a guy, especially in the modern NFL, the way that the QBs are protected, the way that you can simplify offenses, I just think that you have to – plan on having that guy start from day one if you're taking guy or at the very least have a plan you know midway through the season or something uh there's just no reason to waste a year of that rookie deal to have them sit especially in kyle's offense where you can keep you know have a certain section of the playbook that a rookie could come in and run from day one especially with how good the running game is and the defense and all the other pieces around it so yeah i would i would be totally happy with them taking jones at 12 if that's the route they wanted to go uh, that would just obviously, in my opinion, have to signal the end of Jimmy Garoppolo because it makes no sense to have them both on the roster, uh, especially if you're using capital that's that high on a quarterback. You you have to have that plan that he would be the week one starter if you go that route. I mean, yeah, that's the thing is like Leo, me and Leo have said a million times and Leo asked you this question is like, you know, yes, they could spend more capital and trade down and go get try and get Justin Fields or, you know, maybe even Zach Wilson or Trey Lance. But from what it feels like, it just feels like Mac Jones is that guy who you can take, you know, maybe you won't have to trade down and get him at 12 or you can trade down less and let, pay less and keep more assets to continue to replenish your roster while you, you know, you're in this window, this win now window. You know, it just feels like Mac Jones is the smart 49ers, you know, pick at 12. Right, Leo? Not going to lie. Jordan was selling me on the Kyle Pitts idea uh, to where <laughs> – how could Jimmy Garoppolo not succeed with that offensive line talking about Williams, um, Tomlinson, Alex Mack, who's a Niner now, 
uh, Mike McGlinchey, who's a solid run blocker. And then thinking about the receivers with IU, Debo, Kittle, Pitts, Juszczyk, Moster as a running back. Like, I-, I think they could put up 30 points a game, 28 points a game, um, especially with Kyle Shanahan calling plays. That That would be the main reason why. But this is where I would have trouble with it. it when when building a team, this is how I view it. When building a team, you got to build for now, but you also got to build for year two, year three, year four, and year five. Um, you go all in now, you're most likely going to have to re- press the reset button maybe every three years or so. Um, and that's why I look at it with if Mac Jones is sitting there at 12, you got to take Mac Jones, even if Kyle Pitts is sitting there at 12. You you got to go with Mac Jones because if you take Kyle Pitts, then you have this arsenal to where Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get this offense into the playoffs. They'll probably, they could definitely win a few games in the playoffs, potentially even a Super Bowl. Then who's going to be the next quarterback you're going to get in the draft? The reason that you move on from Jimmy G is because you say some of these contracts, Warner, Bosa, um, Kittle's contract goes up. Armstead's contract goes up to twenty million. We're talking about a cap issue thing, to where, yeah, like, are they going to go spend money in the draft to re, or excuse me, spend money in free agency to replace Jimmy G? Are they going to spend money for in a trade market for a guy that has a high cap hit? The smart move would be to draft someone. So Mac Jones would be the safer pick. Right now, then Kyle Pitts, when talking about this year, next year, three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, because I, I've stated this all the way back since October, Mac Jones reminds me of, of a Kirk Cousins type of guy with a little bit of more upside because Kirk Cousins has that little kind of like douchebaggy-ish type vibe to no, him it's, to where it's just being weird to where like his own locker room guys don't even buy into the quarterback and it's very hard to win a championship that way when guys are saying screw you um to the starting quarter the franchise quarterback that's taking 40 million dollars of the cap hit so with that that's where i believe mac jones could have more of an upside than Kirk cousins because mac jones could hit those deep balls he could do a lot of what jimmy's doing now um, a, a lot that Jimmy does now is kind of a pre-snap decision of where he's going to throw the ball. He's not having to, you know, move to his third read or his second read. A lot of it's pre-snap decision. Yeah, I'm going to go to, say, Debo out wide, but I'm going to hold the safety here. So while you may see the stripe of my helmet turn, that was my pre-snap decision. It's just I'm holding the safety, and I know where Debo's going to be based off, you know, the chemistry that they built together. So Mac Jones could do a lot of the same things to hold off the safety and then hit your X receiver, hit your Y receiver. Um, He could do a lot of that, but most importantly to me, what it would come down to is I think he has potential. Like Jordan said, it's it's unfair to say that he would be better than Jimmy, say snap one or game five into his rookie season. But I think he does have that potential to where he he can go to read two, and he definitely can air that out a lot more than Jimmy can at the quarterback position. Yeah, and I you know the thing about Jimmy it feels like is 
you know, he has trouble reading the field. I think that's why he's had so many, so much interception problems. And I think that's one thing that, you know, we had Tim Jenkins on, what, a couple of weeks ago. He specifically said, like, Mac Jones reads the field better than any quarterback in this draft. Like, that's the thing. And so, Jordan, when you think about Mac Jones and you think about what Jimmy's, you know, problems are or deficiencies are, like, does Mac Jones fill those deficiencies for Kyle Shanahan where we're not watching him on the sideline with his hands up going, like, what the hell are you doing? with, you know, at least just what you've seen in college and the way that, you know, he can read the defense? I think the biggest thing is more so than the progressions and the reading of the defense is just his pocket presence and his pocket awareness. I think that Mac Jones moves very well in the pocket. I think, honestly, he moves better than anybody else in this draft inside the actual pocket itself. I'm not talking about extending plays or evading rush, purely maneuvering inside the pocket. Um, Trevor Lawrence is up there too, but I really believe that Mac Jones is the best when it comes to that. And that's something that I know for a fact Kyle does value because he said it till he's blue in the face, how important it is to be able to stand in while the pocket's collapsing around you and handle NFL pass rushers and NFL defensive lines and having the awareness to maneuver. Uh, That's one thing you'll see a lot with the QB collective stuff too when he's doing his uh, quarterback camps that he talks about how imperative it is to be able to move laterally as well as vertically while you're in the pocket. And that's an area where Mac Jones – you know, people talk about how he had all these first-round receivers and their offensive line is so good and Alabama is so loaded. They're still playing in the SEC, and they're still playing a lot of really good teams. And when he went up against teams that were pressuring him and they did break through that offensive line, he just – he had a lot of, you know, guts and charisma and a lot that's just kind of like it factor where he not only had the awareness to evade the rush, but he was stood in there and he made a lot of big-time throws where he was really had a guy in his face that ended up putting him on his back – where he had a guy where he had to step out of the way and then make a throw on, you know, a quick motion. There's a lot of things that you look for in a quarterback where he's able to feel that pressure and then not only feel it, but know where to go, when to get rid of the ball. A lot of that, that's the biggest problem, in my opinion, with Jimmy Garoppolo is that when the pocket's clean, I have no doubt that he can execute in a clean pocket with a good play schemed up. He's going to get the ball to the receiver most of the time. I don't doubt he could do that at all. The problem that I have is that that's not going to happen every single snap in the NFL. And ultimately, there are going to be plays that decide games where you're going to need your quarterback to step in and make a big throw, to evade an edge rusher, to stand in there and take a big hit when he throws the ball. Uh, there were a couple of plays last year where I will give him credit. You know, the one that stands out to me is that Rams game, the first one at home on that fourth and two when he threw the touchdown to Kittle. He threw a dart to him in stride right on the money, and he took – he got – I forget who the player on the Rams was that laid him out, but he got absolutely destroyed. you, Cam. <laughs> was it oh okay I thought um yeah he got he got laid out on that play and you know that's what you look for in a quarterback and again we have to understand that there's a lot of mental um hoops that you have to jump through when you uh, suffer an injury as significant as a torn ACL so I think that it, it the, the biggest concern I have with Jimmy is that when the, there's pressure and the play breaks down I just don't see him as a guy that's gonna consistently be able to overcome that kind of adversity. I do think that Mac Jones is a guy who could do that. So that's what I would look for. The reading the field and stuff, I think that there is a lot to be said. The reading the field stuff really is tough, though, too, because unless we know the playbook and the progressions that they're assigned pre-snap, then we really don't know what they're looking at. We don't know if maybe there's an alert route that's built in or there's a hot route that's built in. Um, The biggest thing that I would say is that I've heard from a lot of people who know far better than myself that study the Niners offense that are well-versed in this stuff, that Kyle's done a lot of stuff where he cuts the field in half 
to make it extremely easy for uh, Jimmy or Mullins or Beathard, whoever's been in at quarterback. So my whole thinking is, too, is, you know, even if Mac Jones did struggle a little bit and he wasn't reading the field the same way he was in college, if you can cut the field in half for a guy who's been in the league for seven years, you could definitely do it for a rookie, too. And if you're able to get those looks dialed up where you're getting open guys in space, then you're going to be able to generate enough offense between that and the run game, I think, to pull out games. And I think just ultimately, like I said, what it comes down to is that I think Mac Jones just has an it factor that very few quarterbacks have. And that's not a direct dig at Jimmy Garoppolo. That's just a a praise of Mac Jones and how he just has this kind of innate ability to maneuver a pocket. He's not an athletic guy. I'm sure you guys have seen the combine picture of him. He looks like Tom Brady at the combine. He looks like he weighs, (laughs) you know, 170 pounds soaking wet with a beer belly at the same time, which is, you know, ironic in itself. But he just he he makes plays and that's the biggest thing for me is that one thing I will say real quick when you're scouting players one of the biggest things I think that people need to um remind themselves and I try to do this with myself all the time is it's easy to get blown away with guys who are just athletic specimens and freak athletes and you know like wow like this guy runs a 4340 or he has a 45 inch vertical jump like all these things that stand out but ultimately it, this isn't about being the best athlete it's about playing the sport of football and you have to have some baseline level of athletic ability, but you also need to have a really strong ability to play the sport of football. And what I'm saying is, is I would rather take a player like Mac Jones, who isn't this athletic freak that's going to, you know, throw like Patrick Mahomes, like that throw in the Super Bowl where he's falling to the ground, throwing a dart 30 yards downfield, or like Josh Allen, where he's throwing guys off of him while he's throwing 50 yards down the field to digs. Those guys are great. If you can get them, that's fine. But I would rather take my chances on a guy who I know is just consistently going to get the ball to the right spots. You're going to say, hey, I want you to go to this look pre-snap. Maybe this is going to be your secondary, tertiary reads. And you can trust that while they may not have that crazy athletic ability, they're going to consistently get the ball to that spot repetitively, which is what I think Mac Jones has done. So ultimately my point is I think Mac Jones, the football player, is very good, while Mac Jones, the athlete, may just kind of be average. But that really good football skill matters tremendously. I just think we're in an age where we're getting so blown away by these athletic specimens transitioning to quarterbacks that we're forgetting that ultimately the most important skill you can have is to throw a football accurately and be consistent with it. And I think that Mac Jones is very good at doing that. And it's it's an achievable goal, and that's the reason I really wanted to talk about it specifically. It's just like it's an achievable thing. Like, yeah, like I'd love to see Justin Fields or Zach Wilson in a Niner jersey, but that's going to be really hard because those guys are going to go top six, top seven, you know, maybe even top three. Like, you never know what might happen. Mac Jones falling to twelve doesn't seem like a crazy thing to say. Like, I you know, I'd love it if Justin Fields was there at twelve, but it, it, Mac Jones at twelve feels like the most feasible thing for what they've done here with free agency, right, Leo? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would say so. Mac Mac Jones falling to twelve is potentially could happen it's definitely the most likely out of the top five quarterbacks trevor lawrence is absolutely not falling outside of the top first pick um so we'll see it's just kind of one of those games where we got to just wait and see what happens um whether if they did go with mac jones that's my preference or kyle pitts i would be happy either way totally yeah i mean like that's the thing is you know it's we're very lucky because our football team has a decent roster. There's a lot of teams that would kill for the roster the 49ers are going to put out there this year. They're, look at what they've done in free agency. They've pretty much set it up where they're going to be a contender as long as they stay healthy. healthy health is going to be the biggest opponent for the 49ers, whether it's the quarterback, whether it's the linemen, whether it's the pass rushers. It doesn't matter. 
the 49ers are literally set up to be a win now football team for the next two years. Now, will they make it to the back to the Super Bowl? I don't know. I don't think personally that they can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. So if you bring in a guy like Mac Jones and maybe they don't go to the Super Bowl this year, the following year when he's had a little bit more experience, you never know. Anything's possible when you have Kyle Shanahan as your head coach because consistently Shanahan schemes guys open and makes players look better than they are. And not to say that players are bad. And then not even to mention their defense is still really good. They still have one of the best defenses in the NFC, you know, outside of probably Tampa Bay or Los Angeles. We'll see what happens with Los Angeles. There's going to be some regression there. You know, yes, they still have Aaron Donald. Yes, they still have Jalen Ramsey. But there's parts of that team that aren't as good as they were last year. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens, you know, coming up in the next couple of weeks. You know, the draft is almost here. And, you know, these answers we've been waiting for since this horrible season ended are finally almost upon us. You know, we're finally about to find out what the heck the 49ers are going to do next year at quarterback. And hopefully it's, you know, move on from that big Jimmy Garoppolo contract and give someone like Mac Jones a chance or trade up. You know, we didn't even talk about the trade up guys today because, you know, we've talked about them so much before, but right now it feels like with the free agency they've had and the talent that's on that team, Mac Jones at 12, that would be a great position to be in, you know, going into next season. And yeah, you're probably, you probably still don't have like probably still sitting at the fourth best quarterback in, in the NFC West, but at the same time, anything's possible. Things can change. You know, Stafford's not going to be around forever. You know, he's an older guy. Russell Wilson might get traded next season. You never know. Um, but we'll have to see with that. Hey, Jordan, is there anything you'd like to uh, plug before we head out on tonight? Uh, no, just, you know, um, if, if you haven't checked out 49ers Goldmine, uh, you know, it's a great site full of great content. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure Leo's spoke about it at length. Um, but, you know, any any chance you have to check it out, um, you know, we'd greatly appreciate it. Um, I'm personally focusing on draft stuff right now. So I do have a few mocks out um, that you can find on the site there. I'm trying to do one at least once a week, uh, generally around Wednesday, Thursday in that time frame. Uh, so, yeah, if you, if you want to check out my mock drafts, I, I really enjoy doing draft stuff. If you have any questions about a prospect or, um, you know, if you want, anybody who wants my opinion on something, I'm always happy to give it. Or if you just want to talk draft stuff, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, splash underscore cousin. Um, I'm always happy to talk draft stuff, talk football in general. Um, you know, thanks for having me on, guys. It's always a blast talking with you. Absolutely. Leo, is there anything you want to plug before we head out tonight? Uh, just basically same old, same old, 49ersgoldmine.com. Make sure that you check it out and, and see Jordan's mock drafts. He does a great job not just diving into day one guys and day two guys. He does a great job looking at the sixth round picks, looking at the seventh round picks, looking at potential undrafted free agents. So I would de- definitely suggest go to 49ersgoldmine.com and check out Jordan's mock drafts as well as uh, my YouTube channel. It, just type in 49ers Gold Mine. You'll see a lot of my YouTube stuff, planning some live shows on there as well if you guys want to get some live Q&A action. And you can follow me at Niner Nate 49 We can argue all about the quarterback if you really want, but I just had a, a week of no quarterback talk on uh, Twitter that I just finished. It was it was pretty nice, actually. And then I went right back this morning to, to yelling about the quarterback and, and, you know, right back at it again. <laughs> can the draft get here sooner? Remember to rate, subscribe, check out all the other podcasts on Niners Nation, and uh, we'll see you next week. Draft's getting closer. More news coming. We'll see what happens over the next couple weeks.